following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. See what I did there? All right. If you would, open up your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible on it. We are in the book of Jonah. We're in the book uh, of Jonah, specifically Jonah chapter 3. Jonah is a minor prophet. If you don't know where Jonah is located in your Bible, look in the table of contents and you'll see it there. Um, you're going to uh, see it in the left-hand side of your Bible, which is called the Old Testament. Old Testament just means old covenant, old promise from God. Um, about this Messiah Jesus that would come. So New Testament, new covenant, new promise, okay? And um, Jonah, uh, if you would, go to Jonah chapter one. We're just gonna kind of um, get a running start here. If this is your first Sunday, uh, great. That's, that's not a problem. You haven't really, well, you've missed a couple of things, but you can pick those up later. But we're gonna bring you up to speed. And for the rest of us who have been here the past couple of weeks, we need a reminder anyway. So let's look at this, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Anytime you see the word of the Lord coming, this is like an important thing in regards to God's truth. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. To Jonah. Jonah is a prophet. He is man of God. He is the son of Amittai, and God gives him a specific command to arise and go to Nineveh. It's a great city, and he wants Jonah to open up his mouth and preach against the evil that has come upon that city, and they're contesting against the Lord, all right? And so as a prophet, as a man of God, you would think that Jonah listens to the Lord, and he says, by all means, Lord. I'll go wherever you send me. Here I am. Let's go. And in verse three, we realize that Jonah is like us. He rose and he goes the opposite direction. He goes to Tarshish and he goes down from the presence of the Lord. And he goes to Joppa and he goes down from the presence of the Lord. And he finds a ship and he goes down into the bottom of the ship. And he pays the fare and he goes on board as if you can't go far enough on land. He tries to go on the water and run from the presence of the Lord. And then, I'm not going to read the whole passage of scripture to you, don't worry, but the Lord brought this great storm upon the ship that Jonah was on. The men who are on the ship throw Jonah into the sea. They don't want to, but they do. And then we realize in verse 17 of chapter 1, the Lord appointed, some people think that God um, created a specific fish, not a whale, to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah finds himself in the Olive Garden of the Old Testament, the belly of the fish. <laughs> That's funny. All right, three days and three nights. I was just seeing if you were still tracking with me, all right? Uh, he talked about the Olive Garden on Sunday? He did. Chapter two, verse one. Jonah finds himself in the belly of this big fish, and he prays to the Lord. So we realize that this book is penned after Jonah has gone through this whole ordeal. And he prays prayers to the Lord that are based off of the book of Psalms. 
And he pleads to the Lord. And so the theme of repentance just constantly pops up. Chapter one, repent. Chapter two, repent. Uh, End of chapter two, verse seven. Jonah says, my life was fainting away. And when I remembered or repented to the Lord and I pleaded to him, my prayer came upon him and there is my salvation. And I will praise him because he has saved me. Verse 9 says in chapter 2, salvation belongs to the Lord. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, make the best decision you could ever make. Confess, repent of your sins, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the new covenant says, you will be saved. So many of us have done that today. I love verse 10, so let's not skip that. And the Lord spoke to the fish. I would have loved to have been there and seen that. Actually, not really, because that would mean I'd been the bottom of the, uh, with the whale or the fish, so that's not a good thing. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. And here's where we're at today. This is where we're at, right? This bleach-covered, saturated, uh, sin-cursed prophet on the beach with a bunch of people looking at him going, what just happened, right? I always see a little kid there, um, and uh, he's like, that was awesome. Did you see that? A man just was puked up onto the ground. Amazing. (laughs) So, uh, chapter three. We're gonna see in these verses three types of people who come back to God, okay? Three types of people who come to God. One is going to be come back to God, and two are going to be other people. So I'm going to give you uh, three types of people who come to the Lord. And uh, let's just blow the sermon up. Um, it, it, it's everybody. <laughs> okay? Three types of people who come to God is everybody. But I want to break it down and show you how this works. Uh, Elizabeth, don't go to the next slide yet until I read these verses. Here we go. The word of the Lord, see if this sounds familiar, came to Jonah second time. Sometimes God's got to repeat himself. Amen? He says, arise, nothing's changed. Go to Nineveh, great city, call out against it, the message that I tell you. And look at what Jonah does, right? He arose, which is funny because that means he's still laying on the beach. And he goes to Nineveh according not to his own Accord, he is going to the Lord's. He goes according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh, no duh, nothing's changed, was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. We'll get there in just a second. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, 40 more days, 40 more days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Say it with me. Say, 40 more days. days. It's fun. You could do that in church. First type of person who comes back to God is the wayward saint. So let's talk to believers before we talk about non-believers. This is the exact same info in chapter one, verse one. This is repetition from the Lord. God repeats the phrase, the word of the Lord came. That comes from Genesis chapter 15, where God spoke to Abraham in a vision. Every time you see the word of the Lord in the text, you understand that there's this prophetic, God-given word of revelation that needs to come, and usually it's followed up by repentance. The word of the Lord comes, and usually he's asking his people to repent. 
In the New Testament, if you remember from week one, God is manifested before us in Christ. God with us. Jesus' name, Emmanuel, means that God is with us. He dwells among us. And in Luke chapter 22, Peter remembers the words of Christ, which in the text it says, the word of the Lord. It's also in Acts and 1 Peter and 1 2 Thessalonians. So here's the inspired word of God, and it comes to Jonah a second time. Sometimes the inspired word of God needs to be reread. This is why you should read your Bible over and over and over. <laughs> and he's calling people to repent. Now notice here, in verse 2, God's desire is the same. When God speaks, sometimes his, his desires have not changed When we are wayward and we find ourselves walking away from God, we come back to him and we think, has anything changed with you, Lord? How have you been? Right? And he's like, I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I do not change. And neither do my commands. So if you were here on week one, let's just circle Nineveh again. Great capital city of Assyria. Long time enemy of Israel. um, Who is known for wealth and power and cruel people who worship idols. God is still tired of their disobedience. He says their evil has come up before me and he still wants Jonah to preach repentance to these people. Now, you who are gathered here today, let's all get in the same boat, no pun intended, all right? And let's agree that we all at times have been like sheep and gone astray. And as we go astray, we wonder, first and foremost, if God will accept us back. God has not moved, my friend, you have. All right, let's, let's pause there and just realize that. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think when I go away from the Lord, he actually follows me. Right? He's like, where are you going? Uh, I'm just, uh, you're a lot to handle right now, right? He's like, why do you say that? He does not leave us. He does not forsake us when we are his children And God's call is the same here. Look at it. It is to repent. Now, true repentance is not a change of mind being regretful or remorseful for the wrongs that you have done. That's Judas betraying Jesus. Judas has a a head remorseful change, but he does not have a heart transformation. So true repentance is when the mind has been changed so much that it leads to a heart transformation in your daily actions. This can't come through yourself. It has to come through Christ. This is when we give God total and complete control of our lives. Jesus' mission is Jonah's mission. And it's our mission. It is when we call ourselves to repent and then call other people to do the same. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 32, as well as chapter 13, verse 5. Jesus says, I have come to call, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? Repentance. It's a key word throughout all of these chapters in Jonah. But unless you repent, you will perish. And when Jesus uses the word repent, he's talking about heart transformation, not head understanding of remorse. Okay? So we're all called to go and tell people to repent. So what is our response? Well, verse three or four, we're either going to be obedient to it or we're going to be disobedient to it. Now, praise the Lord that Jonah gets a second chance. Praise the Lord that God is the God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Amen? I mean, we praise the Lord that he is good and his love endures forever and his mercy and grace extends so much farther than ours does. 
And Jonah, <laughs> I love this, he goes to Nineveh. And he sees the great city's size. So the first thing that Jonah does is he has an epiphany that God's not a liar. <laughs> I'm the only one who caught that, I guess. He says that it took three days' journey to go through its breadth. Going a day's journey doesn't mean that Jonah traveled into the city for a whole day before preaching. It means on the first day... When he entered into that city, he began preaching immediately, and God gives a 40-day grace period to repent before the judgment comes. So Jonah proclaims this for three days before going verse uh, five east, or chapter four, verse five east of the city. So what? The model to follow here is obedience. He is obedient. God's salvation here is available to all who repent. Jonah's done it. He was wayward. He repents. And now he calls other people to do the same. And he says, do not run from the Lord. You'll be accountable to him. And so you're here today and maybe you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ. You need to trust Christ. We're going to talk about common people and uncommon people in just a second. But for us as believers, the day has come upon us where Mark Batterson's quote is solid. And he says that the greatest regret at the end of your life will be the lions you didn't chase. In other words, the repentance that you did not make here on earth. You will look back longingly on risks. And in context, Batterson's talking about the gospel that we didn't take. We didn't take risks for the gospel. Tears will flood our eyes when we see Jesus' face and we will say, I, I should have. Opportunities that were not seized, dreams that were not pursued. And so Batterson calls us back and he says, hey, stop running away from what scares you the most and start chasing God-ordained opportunities for the gospel that cross your path. Now, as we were singing just that song previously, um, the American church's big problem is not externally often, it is more internally right? And so when we look at the internals of our heart, we start to see that we run away from ourselves just as much as we run away from gospel opportunities. And Jesus says, let's get to the heart of the matter and let's start doing some real work in yourself so that we can do some real work on the outside. In other words, work's not being done on the outside because you're failing to do the work on the inside. Is it, are you tracking with me? Jonah's doing some work on the outside because chapter two showed us he did some work on the inside. Okay? God's call is the same. Repent, call people to do the same. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And so here, the first person that comes to God is a wayward saint who starts to preach the gospel to people of repentance. I fully believe that God is calling his wayward saints to return like Jonah. I fully believe with all my heart, church, hear me, this is coming out of concern after studying my own life and other people's life, that we have to get to the point where we are radically recommitting our lives to Christ because if we fail to recognize Christ as Savior and make him Lord of our life, nothing will take place or transpire in our worlds that we live in. 
So there's a bunch of people who claim Jesus in church pews, but what's happening is we're going outside and we're compartmentalizing our faith. Are you tracking with me? We're saying Jesus is for Sunday, he's not for Monday, he's not for Tuesday, because we're embarrassed by the guy who died on the cross for our sins when we get into these situations and circumstances with other people, because we're more concerned and consumed with them than we are about the applause of God. Are you tracking? Jonah could care less about these Ninevites in regards to what they thought of him. He is preaching repentance out of his own soul that has repented as well. If you backtrack into chapter 1, he doesn't even like these people. He doesn't, he doesn't like them. Chapter 4 says that he knew that God would offer mercy and grace to these individuals and that's why he didn't preach them. He said, your grace is for me, not for other people. It's not fair that they should accept you just as I've accepted you. And God's like, that doesn't matter. I want you to be radically obedient through radical amputation and I have to pull you and drag you through some radical times to get you to that place in your life. Okay, let's make it real practical, Pastor Jordan. Okay, <clears throat> it's not too late to say no more to the things that lead you to sin. It's not too late to dump alcoholic beverages down the drain. It's not too late to throw cigarettes out the window. It's not too late to stop smothering other people with gossip. It's not too late to stop seeking your own <clears throat> benefit and being selfish. Can we, as a church, just say no more being wayward? Like, can we get on board with that? Like, look at what Jonah does. He is vomited out of a fish. The word of the Lord comes again, and he calls people to repentance out of his own repentant heart. It's as, almost as if his prayer from here on out is make me more and more and more like you. And our prayer is make us more and more and more like Jesus. So, so my question on the table, and I'm asking it myself too. Are you doing things in your daily life that make you more and more like Jesus? Or are you doing things in your life that are causing you to look more and more like the world? Okay, that's enough conviction for that. Verse five. <clears throat> and the people of Nineveh, Cast Jonah back into the sea. Just kidding. That's not what it says. It says, the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The second type of person that God comes to call to himself is common everyday people. Jonah's God-given words spread through Nineveh. They go quickly. All these Ninevites accept Jonah's message. And they believe in the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Even though Jonah's message failed to talk of God's mercy, the Ninevites, from the greatest of them to the least, repented and called for a fast. And what that means is they put on sackcloth or coarse clothing. And this is done as an outward symbol of an inward remorse, hoping God might turn his anger and spare them. What if we wore like garbage bags to work tomorrow to symbolize to our coworkers that we're in repentance? Wouldn't that be funny? Like, hey, man, you okay? Church was rough yesterday, bro. Rough. <laughs> Two questions come to our minds when we read this passage. Number one, you trace this. We do this all the time when we study the Bible, right? Is this true? This is this a true story? Where'd you get this from? And the reason I asked this is because I was sharing this story with somebody, and they're like, that ain't true. 
And I, I started doing some research on it. Assyrian records make no mention of this citywide repentance. It's not there. Why? It might have been because historical records often delete events, especially those that would embarrass them. Like, put this in practical context. How many of us are praising God that social media didn't exist when we were growing up? Like, amen, right? Thank you, Jesus, that Instagram came later in my life, right? Or even the camera, right? By the way, we gave our daughter a, a Polaroid camera one time. She snapped all of the pictures in one shot. We're like, what are you doing? She's like, you just cycle through. You get more. I'm like, you don't get more. You get 20 more dollars for 10 pictures. That's how this works. <laughs> totally doesn't have to do with Jonah, but I was like devastated. I'm like, you can't do that. You have to really think about what you're, you know, putting into frame. That's a sermon illustration for another day. Egyptian records don't refer to Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Uh, Assyrian records don't record the loss of 185,000 soldiers in Jerusalem in 2 Kings 19 through 35. It doesn't matter. It still happened, whether it's in the record books or not. Because the word of God has proven the test of time, and the word of God is the authority of all life and godliness, and we look to it and we say, yes, this is true. Albert Einstein said it the best. He says, just because you don't believe in something doesn't mean it isn't true. So from the cross to the Holocaust, it happened and we believe it. Okay, so neat. That's fun. Here's what we do as believers, though. We're like, hey, are these Ninevites conversions genuine? You ever had somebody trust Christ in your life and you go, that ain't true. I know that person. As a matter of fact, that's false, right? We're so quick to discredit somebody who comes to Christ. We always wonder if people turning from their sin is genuine or, or maybe even superficial. For example, if the Ninevites' conversion was genuine, it'd be really difficult to explain why the Assyrians continued to be violent and destroy Israel 37 years later in 722 BC. C.F. Neal said it like this, and I love what he says. However deep the mourning of the Ninevites might be, however sincere the repentance of the people, we know for sure they acted in accordance to the king's command. So we have to trust we have to trust that this happened. We focus on others so much, but we fail to remember the only person that you can control is yourself. We should be excited when somebody repents. We should be excited when common people come to Christ. Not doubt it. If a seed's planted, let's pray it grows. Like, hey, you came to know the Lord. That's great. Awesome. That's amazing. We're called to repentance, pointing people back to do the same. And when people come to know Christ, guess what, guess what the Bible calls them? Babies. You don't look at a baby and say, hey, why can't you walk yet? What in the world is wrong with you, right? You don't do that to little children. And when they do walk, you're like, hey, how come you can't run a mile under four minutes? What's wrong with you? But that's what we do as believers. It's so funny. We want people to be like at this level, this peak level. And we're like, what? God knows the status of their hearts. The Ninevites responded from fear. And by the way, you can always preach the gospel and put hell in it. That's a truth. That's a reality. Like, don't, don't stray from that. And look at this proclamation. The people were outwardly contrite. They fasted and they wore sackcloth. And there may have been no enduring spiritual change, but, but that's not up to us. That's, that's God. It's possible that many believed Jonah's words and became genuinely converted. Obedience happened. We were talking about this nine o'clock hour. It's amazing. You look at the Exodus story, right? There are Egyptians that went with the Israelites. Isn't that awesome? We, we miss that verse all the time. 
Here's, here's how this really boils down. Common people in your life need Christ just as much as you need Christ. Now, let's take that a step further. This could be your literal neighbors, to your coworkers, to your kids. Now, that's easy because I like those people. But common people in your life also are people you can't stand. They need Christ. You only love the Lord as much as the person you detest the most that doesn't have Christ. You only love the Lord as much as the person you detest who doesn't know Christ. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter four, you pray for your enemies. We're so good at loving people who love us back, but how do we love people who hate us? Jonah detests these Ninevites, but he still preached to them because God said so. He still comes to them. That guy at your work, that person at your job, maybe it could even be your spouse, I don't know. That person needs the Lord. I'm reminded of the old song, people need the Lord, people need the Lord. Common people need the Lord. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think we should share the gospel so that people come to know the, the Lord and then stop being such like uh, this catalyst for disaster in our life. Matter of fact, say that when you're at your job. Man, I wish you'd come to know the Lord so you change your ways, so you stop driving me nuts. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I don't recommend that evangelism at all. Or maybe I do. I don't know. See, let me know. Let me know how that worked. Um, yeah, why not? If it opens up a segue for the gospel, go for it. Now, here's what's crazy, okay? So, so we need to repent. There's wayward people. There's common people. But then I, I love verse 6. Look at this. So the word, of the, word, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he slowly arose from his throne, and he removes his robe, and he recovers himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. Was he truly repentant? Nobody knows. He issues a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. I don't know how he published it because I know there wasn't a printing press there, but he got the word out regardless. By the decree of the kings and the nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Can you imagine looking at this proclamation and saying, you're not even going to let my dog eat? That's exactly what it says. No man nor beast. You can't let your livestock eat. Nobody. Like, we are going to fast about this. And also, by the way, I, I, I was thinking about, I was studying this. My uh, basset hound, Frank, was sitting in front of me as I was studying. And I just had this vision of, like, sprinkling, like, ashes on him, you know, putting a bag over him. Be like, you got to repent, buddy. You got to repent. <laughs> I actually told him that. He didn't care at all. <laughs> from the violence that is in his evil hands, who knows? God may relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Last, last type of person. You got wayward people. I would say wayward saints, like Jonah. You got common people who come to the Lord. And then look at, look at verse 6, leadership. Not only did common people repent, but the word reaches the king of Nineveh, he arises from his throne, he removes his robe, he covers himself with sackcloth, and he sits in ashes. Two applications, two applications. Number one, we have to trust the word of the Lord that says the king repented. We have to trust that. 
He wore sackcloth, a coarse garment. He sat in dust. He shows he's remorseful. He believes Jonah's message. Amazing. Billy Sunday says it like this. He says, revival does two things. One, it returns the church from her backsliding. And two, it causes the conversion of men and women. I would say it causes the conversion of common and uncommon men and women. Repentance doesn't happen with just common people. It extends to a leadership level. Now, this really kind of lands in my lap at a really weird time because I know a lot of leaders who need Jesus in my life. And there's a lot of leaders, and I'm just gonna publicly confess this to you, that I have written off and just said they're so far away from God, they're never gonna come to Christ. And this past week, I've been in tears repenting over that. Because if God can save me, he can save them, right? If common men can be converted, so can kings and those in positions of authority. Look at the second thing we learned. The king proclaims, not only does leadership get saved, leadership can also proclaim the same message that you proclaim, and we should be excited about that. So oftentimes we want people to come to Christ and sit in the closet, right? You just love Jesus and stay away from me. But the king's remorse, look at this. He issues a proclamation throughout Nineveh. He instructs people to fast, wear sackcloth, and call urgently upon the Lord to relinquish their wickedness and evil ways. And all of this was in hopes that God may turn and relent from his fierce anger. In other words, he's like, I just hope that people don't die. I love the animal part because I think that shows the importance of it. Verse 9 and 10. Because of their obedience, God relents of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. And this fear of judgment from God is amazing because the Assyrians were a cruel and violent nation who feared no one. In other words, even the hardest nations can still be converted. We spend so much time talking about how Fox News is false and ABC News is horrible and all this other stuff instead of shutting off the TV and praying for those people to come to Christ. If you spent half as much time praying for people to come to Jesus as you do gossiping about them, maybe a revival would kick out in America. I do too. I'm in the same boat. And I catch myself all the time. I'm like, this world is twisted. Jesus needs to come back and rain fire upon it. And Jesus is like, you need to shut up and start praying. (laughs) Sometimes Jesus has to tell you to shut up. It's just the way it goes. And here's here's what happens. At least in my life. When those situations happen, it really starts to identify who I fear the most. Spurgeon said it like this. He says, he who fears God has nothing else to fear. Leaders in your life who are not following the living God are not out of your reach. Your boss, your husband, the congressman, the president, all of those people. Anybody still alive can still repent and praise the name of Jesus. Never say somebody's too far gone. We never give up hope. I heard the story of a guy, um, he's on his deathbed, actually he was a pastor, and he goes and visits this guy, uh, leader, in the con- uh, leader in the community. He goes over to the guy, he's on his deathbed, he sits next to the guy on his deathbed, and the guy looks at him and he says, hey, I know why you're here. And he's like, why? He's like, because I'm going to die. He's like, How'd you know I'm gonna, how, how do you know you're going to die? He says, because you never come unless people die. That's when you come to the hospital. And here you are, you're sitting in front of me, so I know it's bad, I know I'm gonna die. 
He says, tell me one thing that I need to know. And I wish I, I, I wish I would have the guts to do this, but he looks at him and he says, you are the thief on the cross right now. And you have moments, seconds, to make a decision to follow Christ. This leader needs the Lord. He's got a decision to make. Nobody is outside of giving up hope for. This is why we petition the Lord in prayer and we proclaim repentance and we believe that through Christ anything is possible and anything, when the hand of God gets into it, can change the hearts of men. Right? So, how do I apply this? Every time... I come into a sermon, I think, this is going to be really encouraging for the people. This is going to be great. And then I get done with it, and I think, that was super convicting. <laughs> and I think God loves it. Because my goal is not to stroke your ego. My goal is to let the Spirit do the work. So let me ask you just a few questions as we close. Number one, are you a wayward saint? Would you just take a moment and repent before the Lord and turn back to him and maybe contemplate radical amputation of things in your life that are causing you to sin? Number two, are you calling people in your everyday life, whether they're common or uncommon, to repent, to trust Christ, to believe that he can save even the hardest of sinners? I want you to think about something that I thought about all week somebody came up to Bethany a little bit ago and they said, her husband always looks mad. And she's like, he's probably not mad. He's probably thinking about something. And it's true. And here's what I've been thinking about all this, this, this last week. And I can't stop thinking about it. Maybe somebody isn't coming to Christ because there's sin manifesting in my life that is stopping them from accepting the gospel. If I don't look like Jesus and I don't live like Jesus, why would somebody want to come to Jesus? So we all need to repent, turn away from sin, get back to the Lord because he's right there. He never left. Our obedience to him is everything. Let me pray for you. The word of the Lord comes to us today, Heavenly Father, a second time. And you say to us, arise. The command in Jonah 3 is the same command in Matthew 28. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them the things that you have taught us. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The great city in front of us is wicked. Before we start to go proclaim to that wicked city, we ask that you would do a revival in our hearts. If you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, repent of your sin. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let God do the work under the skin that only he can do. 
For those of us here who call ourselves believers and are finding ourselves constantly tripped up in the flesh, repent. It is as simple as saying, Lord, I am so sorry for the ways I've done your word and your will a disservice. But wayward saint, do not be discouraged. This is a place of revival. This is a place of restoration. This is a place where we find hope and healing because the God of second chances, the God of third chances, the God of 15th and 5,000 chances comes to us and he says, again, go and proclaim the same repentance to the people who are in your life. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that they may not perish. Lord Jesus, help us commit to praying for those people in our life, whether we like them or not, who are far from you, whether they're common or uncommon, so that you may get the honor and glory and so that more people would come into the family of God so that we know what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all sit at your table. And we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and in that day we'll say, who came. And as we see the day approaching, help us to be faithful. Help us to realize that it's a daily dependence upon you and you alone and not ourselves. And whatever else I forgot, God, may the Holy Spirit intercede on my behalf. Speak to us in ways that we need to be spoken to today and apply this great truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.